Hey, something personal before we jump back into our series through Proverbs is I want to thank all of you for the uh, outpouring of love and support in the last couple of weeks. Uh, not this Tuesday, but the Tuesday before, my mom passed away at uh, 5.38 in the morning. And uh, the outpouring of love and cards and support and texts has been just incredible. Thank you so so very much. She will be missed. Certainly glad she's in a better place at this, uh, given the suffering she was enduring. But um, your love has been so evident. And I, I uh, also thank you for the cards in the mail. Like, that's been so great. That hasn't happened. Like, getting cards in the mail is really fun again. But I wish the occasion was different. But, but uh, what, a, what an evidence of love. Hey, I did want to mention, too, just to go a little deeper into this, this has been a really unique time both for our, the church and our staff. Um, Pastor Rich left yesterday for California. Uh, his dad uh, was just taken off life support. Uh, he had been on life support for over a month, and his dad is in hospice and close to passing. Uh, a couple other staff members, uh, their parents have been diagnosed with cancer here recently. Um, and then finally, uh, the last two or three months, we've lost more uh, of your parents than uh, has ever happened to us as a congregation. So it's really been a challenging time for us. And um, it's good to grieve, and it's good to grieve together, and it's good to see how God speaks to us in the middle of our loss. But let's join together in prayer for one another as a congregation as we have gone through this, much of this grief together, and, um, and pray that we can meet God. And uh, uh, these losses, I don't want to speak of it only in a utilitarian way, but these losses are opportunities for gain for us, to learn to become different people, to learn to become more like Christ through what we have lost. And we don't want these losses to go um, without their um, effect that they can have on us to be more like, um, more like Jesus. So will you pray with me? We'll pray together as a body. Father, um, we come before you as friends, as members of the same church, and help us, Lord, to lean into one another. Um, help us, Father, to grieve together. Help us to, may our small groups and our, friendship, our friendships be a safe place for people to be open. May we be a a church that listens to one another and knows how to comfort one another. Lord, none of us like to suffer, but when we become familiar with it, may it make us a people, may it make us a body that's attractive, where friends from outside these four walls can come in here and say, yes, this is a place where God dwells. This is a place where the presence of God is felt and experienced. Father, we want this to be that kind of place. And we ask you now as we turn our attention to learning together as a learning community, Father, may we keep this in mind that we're also a community where you're bringing healing. And we look forward, even as Nick and Faith led us in singing, we look forward to the one who is to come and who will wipe away every tear, who will remove all disease and suffering, and who will make all things new again. Thank you that we have a living, breathing hope. May we not forget that. In Christ's name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Okay. We are... Still in our series of Proverbs, we're going to go about four more weeks and finish this series up. We'll have a celebration service the last Sunday of May. Uh, next week, we're going to announce our plans for the summer in terms of what's happening service-wise. We'll have that announced next Sunday. And uh, then in June, we're going to begin something new in terms of a series of messages. Let me begin this morning by saying something that is all clear to us, that the information age has been frightening. It is full of sound bites, diversions, slanted opinions, and half-truths. 
and the threshold for belief has become very low, leading to an epidemic of gullibility. People cannot separate facts from what they want to be true. Brent McCracken, in a new book entitled The Wisdom Pyramid, and thank you, Nick Carruthers, for passing it along to me, he argues this, that we need a diet composed of lasting, reliable sources of wisdom rather than fleeting, untrustworthy information that bombards us every day, a diet heavy on what fosters wisdom and low on what fosters folly. How many times have you heard someone say during this pandemic, we don't know what to believe? That, that dynamic just occurred in our pastor's meeting this past Friday. One pastor, not trying to score points, not trying to win an argument, he simply shared what he had read in a study. It was a study cited from a renowned university, one you'd all know regarding mask use. In the next moment, another pastor, again, not trying to score points, not trying to win an argument, pointed out that the same university had already repudiated the other study, saying, in essence, it was fake news. Now, even assuming that there is legitimacy in studies, whatever you have wanted to believe about this pandemic are the government's restrictions. You can find a scientific study or an article or an expert to support your beliefs. McCracken suggested that the result of all this and other dynamics, even prior to the pandemic, has been a deepening cynicism about pretty much everything. He goes on to point out that in 2016, Oxford Dictionaries declared this word to be the international word of the year. Go ahead and show it, Tammy, if you would. The word is post-truth. <laughs> post-truth. And he defined it as relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. Now, again, all this was happening before the pandemic. Look at this 2017 Time magazine cover story. Now, the one on the right was 2017 with, this, with the question, is truth dead? Now, the artwork, ironically, is an obvious companion piece to the 1966 Time cover that asked, is God dead? Now, without trying, I suppose that Time magazine diagnosed the problem quite accurately. Without God, all we have is our own interpretations, our own truth, which is nothing more than one human opinion competing against another. If God is dead, then truth and certainty about anything significant has also died along with it. Now, as Christians, we do not believe that God is dead. And we also believe that he has made truth knowable through the Bible. Yes, the Bible still needs interpretation. But there is a truth, a capital T truth, that we are seeking to understand. Because truth is knowable, we can do a lot more than simply ask good questions. Good questions is not the end of the journey. Good answers are the end of the journey. And yet here we live in this world with all this competing data, and how do we know what to believe? Well, that's the question we want to investigate today. And the book of Proverbs offers us a unique quality to help us. Now, let's understand what we can't do first. We can't, in our context, break down and make a decision on this or that conspiracy theory or this or that theory that what makes up a healthy diet or this or that theory about the best way to arrest the pandemic. But we can help you learn the principles of discernment. This is the same things that happens in the medical world. Doctors are trained not only about the nature of specific diseases, but they are taught a process, an investigative or scientific process on 
how to make a right diagnosis. As a matter of fact, you probably have all heard the truth that when doctors err, they often err by making assumptions in the diagnosis. But really, a true scientific method, a true investigative method, would not make any assumptions. Well, this is a skill the scriptures can teach us. It's a related but separate in the same ways that doctors have to learn how to diagnose a disease, in the same way Christian can, Christians can learn principles of discernment that will help you with whatever the issue is. And we need it now more than ever in this information age. Look at Proverbs 1.4 on the screen. Here is the prologue to Proverbs, and this quality is introduced. Proverbs 1.4, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Now the concept that we have not yet discussed in full is this word prudence. What comes to your mind when you hear the word prudence? You might think of a Beatles song where the name prudence was used. You more than likely think of something from the Victorian age, some kind of prudish uh, morality or prudish dress or manners, fashion styles, from an age or era long ago, maybe like this. Okay, probably not something you're signing up for soon. But in the book of Proverbs, this is not the idea of prudent. Prudent is a very imaginative and, and positive word. It is a quality that will save you, dignify you, reward you, and make you a very attractive and useful person. It is a quality that helped inspire this series. So, exactly then, what is it? Well, go. let's go back to the dictionary. In my studies of the scripture, I think this dictionary definition is, is spot on. Prudent means shrewd in the management of practical affairs marked by circumspection. Now, think of shrewd not as devious here, because people can do this and be devious, but that's not the idea. Not as being devious, but as someone who has some street smarts. They know their way about. They know what lies ahead and know what it's like to make realistic plans. They're practical. Now, circumspection also adds a dimension to this word. What does it mean to be circumspect? To be circumspect means to be careful to consider all circumstances and possible consequences. Let me give you some everyday examples of circumspect or prudence. Recently, I noticed a woman crossing a very busy intersection, and I think she was jaywalking as her, her behavior indicated risk and danger. As she walked through the intersection, she turned around almost in a complete circle with her head on a swivel, looking at oncoming traffic from all directions. Now, whether or not she should have done this is not the point. The point is she was getting a circular view. She was considering all possible dangers. That's what it means to be circumspect. Second example. In the business world right now, it's uh, in vogue for HR departments they are encouraging what they call 360 performance reviews. Deep performance review. You know, I think I'm losing a little bit of this mic, Steve. Do you hear that checking out? So I don't know if you want to get me a new mic or uh, something, but this is starting to check out. All virtue of the two-service reality. A 360 performance review is an evaluation tool that solicits feedback from all directions, from managers, from clients, from coworkers, from direct reports, that kind of 360 view is being circumspect. Here's a third example. Think of circumspect or prudence with this image. I really like this image. Eagle flying high in the sky. A 10,000 foot view from a bird captures an entirely different perspective than us mere earthbound and wingless humans. From a bird's eye view, one rises above what is right in front of you. 
to get a longer view, to see how things fit together, to anticipate future uh, dangers or challenges or problems. Again, someone with that perspective can see so much further, can anticipate with so much more wisdom what's going to happen. This is part of what it means circumspect. In the same way, the prudent man or woman makes decisions and sets a course of life based on knowledge, realistic planning, how life works, and potential dangers. Thomas Aquinas defined prudence as applying right reason to action. He emphasized prudent action involved seeing clearly. St. Isidore said the prudent person who is one who sees from afar for his sight is keen. The article from which I took those quotes added, the prudent person acts well because she sees more. You see, to be prudent is to live a grounded life. The life grounded. Every a grounded life is an intentional life. By an intentional life, what I mean is that every thought and action flow from a core that is grounded in the truth. It discerns truth from error. It is a life where intellect, will, and emotions come together to form a power, a beauty, an energy, and a strength of purpose. The opposite is to get distracted, detoured, to lose focus, to act on half-truths, to be ruled by impulse, and to get sidetracked on trivial things. Which kind of life do you want to live? Would you like to live a life with focus and beauty and power? Then pay attention to this ancient wisdom. Pay attention to this ancient wisdom. Okay, having defined the word and illustrated it, let's now look at simply four scriptures where this word prudent is used in Proverbs and try to tease out what it means. First one, Proverbs 13, 16. Proverbs 13, 16. All who are prudent act with knowledge, but fools expose their folly. What this means is that the prudent do not act on impulse or fad or what is popular or even conventional. Now, emotions should never be dismissed. They're important. But emotions in decision-making are coupled with knowledge and facts that can be known. For the prudent, actions are integrated with knowledge and beliefs. Do you recall us describing the fool a few weeks ago? He or she, the fool, is dull. They're obstinate. They don't have the patience to search for wisdom. They assume someone will hand it over to them. They assume it can be purchased cheaply. They do not learn from their experiences or gain anything from their losses. And they are slow. The fool here is slow to connect their actions with any negative consequences. Why is that? Because if something goes wrong, the fault lies with somebody else. So this disconnection between action and consequence is why fools keep repeating the same mistake. Today we call it insanity. Remember the word insanity or the definition of insanity? Doing the same behavior and expecting a different result. Well, Solomon wrote about it 3,000 years ago with a much more graphic picture that certainly brought a smile to the listener especially if you're a dog owner. And it's also far more sticky to the memory. Proverbs 26.11 says, As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. The foolishness of fools will eventually be exposed. Now, the negative outcomes of rash or reckless or misinformed decisions will be evident. And there are so many mortality tales, morale, I keep saying morality tales to this effect. Actually, this is a mortality tale. Let me share it. 
back in the early 20th century, uh, they were working on the invention of the parachute. And there was this guy, a French guy, climbed the Eiffel Tower. He was testing it for pilots, and he filled the parachute with air and sailed it to the ground, but he sent a 160-pound dummy, not, not himself, to test it, and it, it didn't work. Well, there's an, Austri an Austrian tailor named Franz Reichelt who was developing a parachute of his own, and he thought this guy was, he thought this test was insane. He wanted nothing to do with that. He was very, very, uh, very critical of it. So he's working on his. But all along, what they're learning about making um, parachutes is that the actual uh, space of the fabric was critical. There was, a, you know, a minimally, some sort of minimal fabric needed in width in order to make sure it was a successful jump. Well, this guy, Reichelt, keeps making his, and the other French guy, he warned him that this parachute would not work. Um, it was also rejected by another team of experts. They said the surface of your device is too small, you will break your neck. Here's what happened. Reichelt not only ignored the experts, but he also ignored his own data. He tested his parachute using dummies, and they crashed. He tested his parachute by jumping 30 feet into a haystack, and he crashed. He tested his parachute by jumping 20 feet without a haystack, and he crashed and broke his leg. Instead of changing his invention, he clung to his bad idea in the face of all evidence and advice. Well, I don't know if it was from the Eiffel Tower where he jumped, but he fell for four seconds when he did it, accelerating constantly until he hit the ground at 60 miles an hour, making a cloud of frost and dust and a dent six inches deep. He was killed on impact. I guess it is a mortality, mortality tale. Every prudent man acts with knowledge, with knowledge. As believers, we certainly don't despise what can be learned and what can be known as facts. Let's go to the second verse. Proverbs 14, 8. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. So the question here being asked is, what makes the prudent wise? What is their secret? The answer is, they give thought to their ways. They think through short and long-term consequences before acting. For example, one of the greatest pieces of advice that I ever received about buying a car or buying a house came from my dad. And my dad said, before you buy something like that, pull out a pencil and piece of paper and answer the question, does it work on paper? And that has saved me a lot. If it doesn't work on paper, it's not a good idea. Now again, this is an interesting thought. The prudent man gives thoughts to his, his ways. And it's much more than just about our financial lives. Notice here that the prudent person does pay attention to himself or herself. This is not wrong or necessarily selfish. Self-knowledge is not the same as self-worship. Many times we are only concerned about the other guy. What annoys us about others? What frustrates us about others? How stupid other people are. The jerks that cut us off in traffic are how the boss and management is always wrong. But how many of us do self-reflection? We are unaware, for example, of our own biases and how that might affect our view of reality. We are unaware of our own weaknesses, and then we naively place ourselves in vulnerable situations. Insecure, we reject the idea that we have blind spots. If someone is offended by us, well, guess what? That's their fault. This overconfidence creates a blindness, making us actually more susceptible to deception are being manipulated. Again, another proverb so adroitly says, all of a man's ways are right to him. <laughs> Isn't that true with us? All of our ways are right to us. I found this great story, uh, very current. Um, 
It's a, about a, 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 a celebrated, famous restaurant owner in Portland, uh, Maya Lovelace. She has two, uh, she's chef owner of two famous Portland eateries. And she made waves when she began soliciting and posting to her Instagram account anonymous criticism of other restaurant employees. So she started, in other words, there were complaints being made about other restaurants and the work environment of those restaurants, and she began posting them on her Instagram. Now, again, this was, you know, this was in a very ripe time. It was the Black Lives Matter protest, the COVID-19 pandemic, and certainly servers and people working in restaurants like that were feeling more empowered to speak up and to speak up against what they felt was, you know, wrong practices. Well, she was doing this for quite a while, placing these um, posts on her Instagram, and that was going on until one of her own servers named Berlin Clark wrote this. He said, it's incredibly ironic for you to be calling out other restaurants for a toxic and hostile work environment when you need to take a hard look at your own. Clark was among several former servers who accused Lovelace of bullying, particularly in reference to uh, uh, a black employee at her establishment. These criticisms forced her, forced her to engage and to realize that she had created an environment where people did not feel free are open to bring up trouble. Now, to her benefit, it sounds like she was able to learn from this and to grow from this, but I thought it an apt example. Isn't that the case with us? We're so apt to be critical of others without any sense of meaningful self-reflection on our own lives, and, um, and we miss something when that happens. Certainly, there's a time to, there's certainly time to bring critique there's certainly time to bring, to bring critique to others, but it needs to come from a spirit of self-reflection on our own lives. Now, the prudent woman, she reflects on who she is. She knows her purpose. She aligns her words and actions to her beliefs. She lives intentionally. She doesn't speak or act rashly or recklessly, but rather from within her core self, from within her values. Uh, Faith and I didn't uh, align that, but it's exactly what she was saying this morning when she was talking about faith in the goodness of God as being the core of our lives from which our thoughts and actions should flow from. You see, to live like this requires self-knowledge, and it requires knowing the truth about yourself. And self-knowledge requires reflection, self-awareness, listening to others, because our own evaluation of ourselves will never be wholly accurate. And it requires knowing Scripture, for Scripture gives us the big picture story of who we are. It gives us a divine basis for identity, and for self-knowledge. Let's go to our third verse. Our third verse says, the simple believe anything, but the prudent give thought to their steps. Here, the same quality of intentionality is used to describe the prudent man. But we have an added dimension in what prudence is set over and against. It is set over and against the naive, the the gullible, the simple. The simple are drifting and aimless without purpose. They are not sure why they are doing what they are doing. They cannot connect their daily activities to some higher meaning or purpose beyond mere self-gratification. So when this happens, the threshold of what a person believes becomes lower. Why? It's because they are driven by forces and things underneath them, many of which they have not identified or understood, and because they are unaware, they are susceptible. Because they do not have a truth anchored in God, revealed in the Bible, they are vulnerable to manipulation to those with agendas other than finding the truth. Now, you might be saying, a lot of this seems to be happening perhaps on a uh, horizontal level. What I mean by that is you might say, well, this prudence in decision-making or discernment, 
I mean, can't this be modeled or practiced by a non-Christian? Well, certainly. Certainly. To a degree, people without God can practice these things in their lives. But here's what I'll argue. I'll argue that it will always hit a wall. And that is because there will be truth about God and truth about what the scriptures say about them that will be filtered through their own fallen presumptions. You see, what the Bible gives us is amazing. I mean, it is remarkable. It gives us a complete truth, a coherent truth about God and humanity and the world we inhabit unlike any other book. The Bible explains our inside world unlike anything. It explains to us why we do what we do. It explains to us why we sin yet desire goodness. It explains to us why we search for significance, yearn for glory, feel pangs of guilt and emptiness. It explains why we take joy in creation, our search for forever love in relationships. It explains why we ache for eternity and why we long to never be forgotten. It explains to us why we want to be affirmed with an individual personal identity, but also long to be connected in community. Besides the inside world, the Bible explains the outside world, unlike anything else, the plant, the animal world, the grandeur, the majesty of creation. As well, the Bible explains why creation suffers and groans under many cataclysmic events. The Bible explains the world inside of us and outside of us with remarkable coherence in a united, cohesive way that makes sense of all the individual parts. So you ask the question then, so if that's true, then why are other religions or why are various secular writers still so persuasive? Well, one reason is, one reason they're persuasive is because they give part of the truth. They give half-truths. They explain half the story. They have a piece of the truth, but they leave significant questions unanswered. So the simple person, though perhaps intellectually brilliant, becomes morally susceptible without the anchor of the Bible. You see, those secular agendas, in the end, are religious, other religious agendas, in the end, you see, what they can't do is they can't erase the human quest for power. They pose as a truth, but they still look for an angle for power in the political or cultural front. Or they look to take financial or sexual advantage. You see, the prudent, the discerning, sees the world through the lens of the gospel. And the gospel... The scriptures give them a grid to make sense of the culture and the world. This is, if we were in medical school, this is the training that a doctor receives. How do you go about removing your assumptions and correctly diagnosing a disease? This is our training. Knowing, understanding the gospel, the scriptures and looking at culture and the world through that lens. Now, some of you might be tempted to say, well, does that mean, so do Christians not appreciate things that we learn from academic disciplines or from the knowledge that has become uh, tried over time? No, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, see, the prudent person, what... His or her grid allows them to, it allows them to recognize, to appreciate the contributions of science, philosophy, psychology. It allows them to appreciate the just role of political power. But it also is able to discern when these fields have left their lane. 
and when they seek to explain too much, and when they become competitors with God's truth. This is prudence. This is discernment. You know, one such example of this discernment is a man named J. Warner Wallace. J. Warner Wallace was a former cold case detective and an atheist. And he applied what he learned in investigating cold cases to the evidence of the Christian faith. And behold, he became a believer in Jesus. He has been featured often on NBC's Dateline and has been called there the evidence whisperer. I want to encourage you to listen to a six-minute video that he developed. Actually, he's, this has been a, a topic he's talked about, but this is a short video, six minutes. If you Google J. Warner Wallace and conspiracy theories, you'll find it. He did it with Frank, Frank Turek. But his title was, Why Successful Modern and Ancient Conspiracy Theories Are So Unlikely. Again, encourage you to check that out. Let's go to our last verse. Last verse, Proverbs 14, 18. Proverbs 14, 18. The simple inherit folly, but the prudent are crowned with knowledge. There is a natural result to being naive. Like children inherit wealth from parents merely through relationship, so the naive inherit devastating circumstances. In relationships, in vocation, or in finances, it's the man or woman who compromises their convictions in order to marry. It's the parents that pressure a child into their dreams. It's the couple that maxes out credit cards to finance a life they can't afford. But the prudent man or woman possesses an entirely different way of approaching life, of seeing the world. The prudent man or woman has a way of life where facts, facts, are carefully weighed, where differing perspectives are listened to, where biases are understood and accounted for, where emotions are valued but not allowed soul rule, and where counsel and advice is sought from others. That kind of person, man or woman, brilliant or average intelligence, wealthy or poor, is crowned with knowledge. Others recognize their beauty and knowledge. They have an approach to life that thrives because they live in accord with reality. They may not be successful according to the scorecard of others or a popular opinion, but the Bible says this, they will be happier, they will have richer relationships, they will have less stress, they will have less walls between them and others. They are emptied of bitterness. They have the power to forgive. They are less guarded. They are more transparent. Their lives possess more meaning. In a word, they are free. They're free. This is the reward of prudence. We've come a long way right from our maybe previous concept to see this is an imaginative, it's a beautiful, it's a compelling, it's a powerful, it's a beautiful word. How does prudence differ from wisdom? Well, only in shades. When you think of the words prudence or discretion or discernment, think of them as a rainbow with their definitions bleeding into each other, contributing to a whole that comprises wisdom. Those four scriptures give us a foundation to understand what the prudent life imagines and envisions for you. Finally, let me put my, I've been giving applications all along the way, but for your sake, let me just put them in three simple statements that we've been making already. Number one, to apply this, live intentionally. Connect your actions to your beliefs and to your values. Connect the means of your life with the ends of your life. And the only way to have a firm understanding about the end of your life is to know God and to be a solid man or woman of his scriptures. And we encourage you this many times, I know, 
But let me just say again, we encourage you individually and corporately to connect and engage with what God says is the goal of your life. The clearer that's in your mind, the more power you will have to connect your daily life to the glory of God. Lawrence, in that beautiful book, The Presence of Christ, talked about in his world, living as a monk in a monastery, doing dishes for the glory of God, finding meaning in the most mundane service. Live intentionally. Strengthen your engagement with the Bible. Sunday morning is important because there's teaching, there's correction, there's rebuke, there's encouragement, there's understanding from our pastors and elders who've been tested and qualified to teach good, sound doctrine. Augment that with your individual engagement with God's Word and seek to do it on an everyday basis. That will help you to connect your actions to your beliefs. It'll become clear in your mind. It'll be crystal clear the purpose of your life and how going to work on Monday morning or how making dinner tonight how even your entertainment choices connect with the glory of God. Secondly, live reflectively. Take time to know yourself. Understand the things that drive you. When your emotions go sideways, I, I say it this way, talk to yourself. I talk to myself individually through journaling. Journaling is what helps me to slow down and untangle what's going wrong when, when emotions are going sideways. Here's... I find this to be one of the most insightful, one of the most powerful verses in Proverbs. Solomon wrote this, wrote this 3,000 years ago. And it is so true today. In some ways, you know, people are just sort of like waking up to this truth today. Proverbs 20, verse 5, he said, The purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. What he's saying there is that the heart of a man, the heart of a woman is mysterious and complex and complicated. It has drives, it has lusts, it has, it has pulls on it. It has things operating underneath it that we are often not aware. For many of us, we don't know why we're angry and we don't know who we're angry at. And we need a friend or a counselor, it says here, but one who has understanding draws them out. I don't know if you've ever been on the other side of that. When you've had a friend who knows how to listen without judgment, who knows how to ask good questions and draws you out, I mean, that kind of friend is golden. Don't lose them. Don't ever lose that kind of friend. One who has understanding draws them out. They know how to ask questions. You know, one reason that a lot of people stop caring for people, a lot of reason why leaders have stepped out of leadership is because when they encounter someone with a problem, they think it's their responsibility to solve that problem. And they invariably know that they, they can't. Parents get frustrated with children for this reason. And so often we just stop and quit. The person of understanding recognizes that I can't solve their problem. But what I can do is I can help them, I can draw them out, I can help them to understand what's going on, and they can solve their own problem. They can solve it. But the person of understanding draws them out. Now, we're learning this as a community, and we also, uh, many times, this is often the role of a good counselor, but there are also many good friends who can ask good questions to draw you out. Again, for me, I like to journal as well. Journal helps me to untangle when my emotions go sideways. Helps me to figure out what's going on inside of me. And then the Spirit often just speaks to me. Finally, I got to quit. Live with readiness. Live with readiness. This is our theme as a church for this year. It got kind of lost with COVID, so we're, we're still in it. It's going to be here for a while. 
helping you, equipping you to live with readiness. The New Testament corollary that I see to prudence is the word alert. I think there's a lot of similarities between the Old Testament word of prudence and the New Testament word of alert. Many times, here's one example, 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be alert, stand firm in the faith, show courage, be strong. Prudence is aware of danger and aware that passivity, passivity will result in susceptibility. So this is one of the reasons that we have begun this series we're calling Equip. It is to equip you and prepare you to serve inside, outside the church, in your family, outside your family, as we confront the issues that we're being confronted with to bring God's word into those places where you're struggling and suffering to equip you, to equip you. And we encourage you to engage in those at the right time. Make time to engage in them. Jesus, of course, fulfilled all of these. Luke 9 tells us he set his face towards Jerusalem knowing that it was the cross. He lived intentionally. Jesus lived reflectively. In John 13, when he, before he washed the feet of the disciples, Jesus prayed, and he says, I know who I am. I know where I've come from, and I know where I'm going. And then he got down on his knees, and he washed the feet of the disciples. Jesus lived reflectively. He understood who he was. He understood where he had come from, where he was going. He understood his identity, and he lived out of that identity. He lived reflectively. And finally, Jesus lived with readiness. Psalm 40, verse 8 is a messianic psalm. We know that conclusively because it's cited in Hebrews chapter 10. And there, David speaks with the voice of the Lord Jesus, saying to the Father, I am ready to do your will. I am ready to do your will. Jesus fulfilled wisdom. Jesus fulfilled prudence. He lived intentionally, he lived reflectively, he lived with readiness. And by the way, he considered the short-term and long-term consequences. Hebrews 12 tells us that he knew the suffering that was ahead of him, but what did he do? He went to the cross for the joy set before him. That joy was bringing many sons and daughters to glory. People like you and me. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the moments that we can spend together this morning. And, Father, we confess that we often do not live this way, in the way of Jesus. We often lose our focus. We often blame others without self-reflection. Father, we're often passive and not ready to serve you. Our hearts are often not aligned with you. We confess this to you, Father, and ask you to help us by your Holy Spirit. Change us that we might grow from our experiences, gain from our losses, and become a, a community that is growing in wisdom and growing in discernment. A community that's not detoured it doesn't lose focus. That's freshly committed to the Great Commission. Thank you for Angelica. And we pray for her, that her work where she's serving would be blessed and multiplied and grow. Lord, may we all commit our hearts to extending the kingdom and fulfilling your will in our day, in our generation. We ask you to help us with this Holy Spirit. We know, it'll, we know it'll be pleasing to the Father. And that's what we want most of all at the end of the day. We want to be pleasing to the Father. It's in Jesus' name, glorious name that we pray. Amen. 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 Okay. All right. Gone a little long. Trust the Holy Spirit's in it. Uh, thank you for attending today, coming. It's great to see some faces again, some new faces this morning. You've not been here for a while. and Welcome back. It's glorious to see you.
one final announcement because there's so much change. Uh, we've set a date of the first Sunday in June to reestablish our preschool and our toddler ministries. So, um, yes, I know it's exciting for many of you parents. So here's what I need you to do. The, the, the email went to the entire church, but this morning an email went out from Lisa, our cross crew director. We need to be able to match the number of students that will be children that will be participating with the number of volunteers that we have. So please respond to that email. Again, if you were a, a, an existing volunteer, please, please consider volunteering again. And we'll also need some new volunteers. This is the largest, one of the most significant ministries of our church. And so we'd encourage you, please consider volunteering. And again, we're looking to aim to get that back in place by the first Sunday of June. All right, we stand for benediction. And I want to go again to this prayer of Paul in Philippians, which is just so spot on with what we're going through. Serving today as a way to, a way to leave empowered by the Spirit. And if you feel free to raise your hands as a way of saying to Jesus, I want to receive this blessing. May our love abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. That we may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Amen. 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 I'll be here. If there's other pastors or prayer team members, please keep an eye on what's happening down here. But I'm going to stay for a little while. If you would like prayer, please work your way down. I would be so honored to pray for you. God bless you.